It has never been easier to find legal industry webinars, conferences, and events online. But more is not always best. I'm Leah Levy, co-founder of Nanato Media, and this is In Camera Podcast, where we break through the noise and only leave room for quality experiences. Welcome to In Camera Podcast, Private Legal Marketing Conversations. Grace, welcome back. How are you today? Good. How are you, Leo? I'm doing good, Grace. Thank you very much for asking. And it's really hard to believe for me that it's uh, the beginning of... Uh, sorry, what do you... Well, it is a beginning. L- l- let me gather my thoughts here. It's the beginning of a new year, Grace. Today is Rosh Hashanah, okay? And I was just thinking right around this time where I was a year ago, and I remember that it was like right in the midst of two conferences, right? And I'm thinking about the Jewish calendar right now because I'm thinking when was Rosh Hashanah last year? And I remember that it was somewhere in between the CRISP uh, Game Changer Summit and the Ben Glass Legal Marketing Conference. And that really uh, made me think a lot about how things have changed when it comes down to events and conferences that as, even as vendors, right, as, as exhibitors in them, we've been depending on so much. And so now in the midst of COVID-19, because unfortunately we are still in the midst of all of this, right? These yes. events are still not taking place and such, or at least not in the way that they were happening before, how the scene has changed and adapted, Grace. So with that being said, today's conversation is going to be about online conferences and events. That's right. Because, you know, honestly, this kind of came about, so this is to all of our listeners, this came about because Liel and I actually ourselves had been talking about whether we should attend virtual conferences and I just keep seeing so many people asking the same question. Are they worth it? Do we need to be involved? Should I be involved? Which ones do I need to be involved in? What virtual event types should be, because there's all kinds, right? So which types should be involved in? And so, yeah, no, I completely agree. And with everything happening and not knowing when the end is going to be, we have to really seriously look at these virtual events and decide for ourselves as attendees and vendors and exhibitors, whether we want to do these. Totally, Grace. And I'll tell you one thing, like just from the top of my mind, thinking about what impact has the pandemic had in online webinars, events, and even meetings, just daily meetings. I think that's one of the very good turnarounds that we've seen companies, law firms, event organizers able to adjust to. One thing that I really thank for every day is how much we have normalized video conferencing and being able to just tell anyone, hey, why don't we jump on a Zoom call or let's have a conversation about that during Zoom? And it's just easy. Everybody can just 
connect, know what they do, they have the right equipment, they have the right connection to support that. It's no longer a rare thing being able to have these conversations online. So that's definitely one of the upsides I've seen. Now, that also created the normalization of attending courses and, you know, the rise of webinars. It's not like webinars were not here before, they were. But now all from the sudden, it was the only way you could access anything that would have otherwise been provided, given, or staged as a live event. So it is, you know, I personally think that there has been a lot of upsides in the way that we have embraced this new technology and platform and opportunities. But with that being said, I also think that a lot of people jumped into it without necessarily having a great content or great production value to offer to this community. And therefore it's kind of like, you know, yes, it's easy, but it's still your time and you still need to be careful at assessing what, what do you want to really invest time into and what is not worth it? What do you think, Grace? No, I completely agree with you. That's exactly what happened, right? Like you said, webinars have been around for a while now. And, you know, the increase was because, as you said, this is the only way people can now gather the information that they would have gotten in person at the seminar. Um, and so they have to learn or, you know, even speak to other people on these Zoom meetings nowadays. And it, it's a whole, it's still a strategy, right? And I think people, because of COVID and because of crisis or any type of issue that has that happens, they forget and sometimes you know, for good reason, I can understand why sometimes people may forget this, but it's still a strategy. And it's how are you going to handle and put together a strategy to best survive this crisis, or any crisis, right? Yeah, Grace, I'm, listen, I'm going to be very honest with you. Right when the first um, stay at home orders were put out, and we're talking somewhere around the end of March, right? We saw a lot of really interesting webinars come up and it was really uh, wonderful to see some organizations just really quickly put out webinars that were attended by i would say close to a thousand participants at once and it gathered a lot of very insightful minds of the legal industry and everybody was there sharing their opinions their views what is it that they're doing and kind of like everybody wanted it to have an opportunity and a place to share thoughts and kind of like associate themselves with others that are going through the same things right and so i think it was great that some organizations were fast to react some agencies were fast to react some law firms were fast to react and they were there putting out these amazing webinars right uh in terms of content and in terms to what they were aimed at but here's the reality grace now we are six months into that and i do think there's a difference between a free webinar now and if you're actually gonna transform your annual conference into online event, how are you going to do that in a way that you can retain the quality and provide a great experience to your audience, to your participants without damaging your brand name and reputation and all of those things? Because my point here, Grace, and why, you know, I'm dancing around here is something which is a lot of people 
they're still going forward with conferences that were planned to be in person. Now they're being moved to online. They're keeping up the fees, right? That you pay in order to attend. But the event itself, it's still just someone sitting behind a webcam and just delivering their presentation. And that's basically it, right? And you cannot, you cannot charge people thousands of dollars at times for attending that when that's the, the experience. And, and I think there is a lot of organizations that are really going out their way to create something of great quality. And I think we can give some examples of that. But I also see that there is a lot that are not doing that. And the least that you would expect is for online events that you're actually paying for to have at least some minimal production value. And I'll tell you what is it that I would expect, Grace. I would expect good upgraded cameras, good video, great audio, and even some interactive stuff, right? Yes. So, I mean, it's not like it's hard to add up animations to your presentation, to add visual engaging elements, elements, even sound effects, right? And I don't see a lot of people integrating these things to make their video experience more engaging to the audience. What do you think, Grace? So, you know, uh, from both vendor and attendee perspective, right? I'd say it doesn't matter what it is. You're 100% right. It needs to be engaging. This is something that you and I talk about on a regular basis. Your content is supposed to be engaging. Now, you're asking people to come into a virtual booth or virtual exhibit hall or whatever it is, but online, you know the experience is not going to be the same. So how do you make it not the same? It's not going to be, but you have to still engage. So I agree with you 100%. You need to do some kind of gamification, polls, some way to engage the people to actually want to speak back to you or ask questions or anything, anything, because it's just so difficult where where you just have a static image or, you know, a a slide deck on the screen with all these words, right? Totally grace. Let's just geek out a little bit about the options. So (laughs) what people tend to associate when it comes down to a webinar, they, they, for the most of it, Think about the traditional Zoom webinar or the go-to webinar platform where you have a video, you have probably a presentation, which is PowerPoint for most of times. And then in the best case scenario, the interactive elements that will come up will be, as you said, polling and that sort of thing. There may be some Q&A, there may be some live chat going on there where people can talk between them or just interact with somebody else who's also helping the facilitator, whatever that is, right? But the reality, Grace, is that there are really good platforms out there that let you add many more things to your webinar, such as, as we've said, graphics that are actually embedded in your video. Because, you see, that's the one thing I keep on thinking that takes a lot out of the experience of the webinar is that when you think about how it works is you have the big presentation in the screen and then the presenter picture goes to a very tiny little box somewhere in the bottom or one corner of the screen. And I think that's not the right proportion. I still, I, I think you still want to have the actual face of the person who is delivering the presentation and just add on to that elements 
that reinforce the message that the person is actually talking about. You know, Grace, let me give you an example, right? Um, have you ever seen the TV show Last Week Tonight with John Oliver? Yes. Okay, so it's your traditional or, you know what, almost any late night TV show, right? Jimmy Kimmel, Steve Colbert, you name it. They're actually sitting at their desk, they're talking, and there's constantly images, bubbles showing up to one side of their head, right? And so these visuals support the story or the message that they're talking about, but they're not taking them out of the picture, right? And so that's what we are not necessarily yet started to see being used more in webinars. And that's where I think we need to be able, we need to be shifting towards to, to really make these presentations more human, more entertaining, more engaging. Uh, and with that, you know, you should also have calls to action right away coming up as you're speaking, as you're saying, whether that's a poll, whether that's an opportunity, whether, you know, particularly if you're the one delivering the actual webinar, you may definitely want to be able to give an option for people to either, you know, subscribe to another webinar, to download something that you're actually talking about right there and then. So you can actually have these things come up as you are talking about them. So I do see a big opportunity to make things a little bit more interactive, right? This is kind of like more addressing the traditional, the standard kind of webinar format that has been put out there by most people who are now conducting webinars, Grace. Now, you brought up something that I do think it's very interesting, and that's the, the virtual exhibit or hall. The option that we have all agencies and other vendors being given to have a presence at some of these bigger events and give an opportunity to the attendees, participants, to still have an opportunity to explore and see and talk to vendors, Grace. So I know you've been at one or two of these virtual events already as Exhibitor. Tell us a little bit about what is a virtual Exhibitor Hall? How does it work? and what's in it both for the vendor and for the attendees. So, yes, uh, I actually attended the uh, AAJ virtual event. Um, it, I thought it was actually pretty well done because they tried to give you as many um, opportunities to load your own assets as possible um, and create a virtual online exhibit hall that you not physically walk through, obviously, but digitally kind of click through different um, setups. So I know you probably remember like going actually to AEJ, right? Where you would physically walk down a hall and yes. you'd see the um, exhibitor list, right? And it sort of told right. you, okay, go here for this, go here for that. It was set up exactly the same way, but virtually. So they had virtual signs, um, virtual people, that were standing in little groups, just as if you were at AAJ in person. And you could click to either go directly into a booth or into a hall or into a session. So the images and and the, uh, it almost kind of looked CG, you know, computer graphics a little bit. Um, so the, the, the interactivity. In, in, in a good way or in a bad way, Grace? Um, <laughs> you know. Like, does it actually show 3D people moving around the holes like is there they're not moving they're 3d people but 
Okay. They're just standing in like little groups <laughs> to make it look like a full hall of people. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> it's kind of like video game-ish. Yes. That's actually probably the best way to explain it. So they used a platform called Connection with two X's. And mm -hmm. I guess they are set up to do these virtual events as if it was a real exhibit hall. So the look and feel was as if you were in, in an exhibit hall in person. But instead of, you know, physically walking, you just click through. Now, that's where the, I think, the op opportunities were missed a little bit in some of those sense, right? Because once you're inside of an exhibitor or inside of their booth, you see the booth as if it was a CG. And that's what we were allowed to load. So I could put up um, a video and have it play as soon as somebody walked into my booth I could have a, bro a brochure that they could download. <clears throat> they let me put a, a little special chat. So they allowed me to do quite a few interactive things inside of my booth um, to get people to actually interact with my booth. Um, but I think it kind of goes back to what you and I were talking about before, how they're trying to do it exactly like it was as if you were in person. And... I don't think that that's gonna work so well. Um, I think they need to create something different and I don't know what that is, to tell you the so, truth. So what you're saying, Grace, is that maybe this whole idea of trying to make the exhibitor whole feel like a video game where you're literally walking in a place and turning to the right, turning to the left and different virtual vendor shops are available for you to go in to explore. You say that may not necessarily be the most effective way to actually participate as an exhibitor, per se, in a virtual event. Potentially. Now, I do have to say, the people that did actually get into our booth were quality. Because they came in specifically to look at what we had to offer based on, on the little description on the exhibitor hall list. Yeah, so correct. It was, like I said, it was a good quality people. And we actually, I'd say we physically had more quality conversations via chat and email than maybe in person. Because a lot of times they're going from session to session to session at AAJ in particular because they go there to learn, right? Yeah. Uh, whereas in this sense, they they were actually giving them some really great incentives to visit all the halls and they would give them points if they visit everybody's booth. Yeah, it, that makes all the sense of the world, right? I mean, it's like going to supermarket or buying through Amazon. Amazon, you just type in what you're looking for and it just pops right up and that's what you want, right? Whereas when you go to the supermarket, you need to walk through the aisles, find what you're looking for, and maybe you will find something that you did not know you needed it or you wanted it, but you end up going after. And so that kind of seems to be potentially what could be one of the missed experiences that you just cannot translate that easily in virtual. Right. Because in virtual, it's indexed and you can very well screen things out faster, more efficiently, and just go after the things that you care. So potentially more efficiently, but less opportunity to discover things that are so potentially of interest to you. Now, Grace, that's interesting, but here's my thing. When would the participants go? Because when I think about an actual event, it's so people are physically there. 
they're physically there. And so they have different rooms that they're moving around to attend different conferences and talks and you name it. And so in between those sessions, they have time to actually just go and explore the exhibitor hall. Does that time exist during these virtual conferences? I mean, at least with AAJ, they try to do it the same. And here's, and here's the thing, sorry to interrupt you there, but if the time exists, why, like how are participants being encouraged to actually go and explore the exhibitor hall and not just minimize the tab where they're in the virtual conference and go to their emails? Like, no, a hundred percent. You can't, that, that is basically what happens, right? Cause it's a virtual event and it's the same with the webinars, right? How many times people speak about zoom fatigue, like how many online events can I really go to? That's all there is now. And on top of that, I'm on meetings and meetings and meetings on zoom or go to webinar or whatever all day long. So no, you're right. That is potentially an issue and what they did at AAJ, I can only tell you what they tried to do. At the end of the sessions, um, the sessions themselves were um, scheduled, right? So people would know when the session would happen. And then before and after the sessions, they try to give incentives to walk the exhibitor hall, just like they, they do in person. And the incentive was if you get enough points, you could win this contest um, by visiting all the exhibitors. Right. Yeah. I mean, that was the best that I think that they could do in the short notice that they had to set up this whole virtual world. Really, it was a virtual world that we kind of stepped into. But I agree with you. It's like a hard because the attendees, I personally am tired, right? I just sat through an hour long session talking about some specific legal matter. Am I going to go walk through the exhibit hall? Mm, I don't think so. Maybe not. I don't know. Well, but that's the thing, right? You may not do it every single time you have the end of a session, but if you're there in person out of three days of conference, one day you may go right? because that's exactly what you want to do. You want to stretch your legs and you want to see what's up, right? Because all everyone who's at these exhibitor halls is people who actually provide services that are relevant to your law firm, whether you need them or not. Right. But there, it's basically uh, think about it as a as a shopping mall that was temporarily created just with stores that cater to your needs. So that's definitely something that I think people generally are curious about, and just because of that, they'll go and take a walk. I don't know if that level of curiosity and intent can be generated in a virtual conference. That's really great. If you'd ask me. The one big challenge that I see for vendors participating in these kind of events is that the reality is that people, as you very well say, they're sitting in front of their screen for an hour, looking at a conference. They have 15 minutes before the next session start. You know, they want to stand up, stretch their legs, go to the kitchen, open the refrigerator, see what's new. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And that's basically, and that's basically, you know, your opportunity to capture their attention. And so that's that's where I don't see, you know, a lot of benefit to vendors, maybe. Yeah. I get I guess great, but I, you know, that's why I really wanted to talk to you about it because I can see that you did have a good experience, right? Because here's the upside. A lot of people know that at these events, some of the best and most uh, renowned vendors in the industry are present, are gathering, and so they come ready 
and I've seen it like at events that I've been present, like people come ready. So there are some people that come ready to buy. You're right. They come ready. They come ready to, to schedule things, to get the information they need, whatever that is. And so it looks like you were able to get to those people more efficiently. That is yeah. the value that that is value that I see. I don't think it maybe helps a lot for discovery, but it certainly helps to connect with people that already have intent in them. That's a very good point, honestly, because that's what I've noticed. People that were ready to buy, that's the, those are the people that showed up, right? Those are the people that came specifically to my booth looking for persistent communication software platform that will help them automate follow up. Right. So yeah. they, they had it in their mind. They knew we were a vendor there. They'd seen us probably a bunch of times at every single AJ there was. And so they were like, okay, like you said, we know these vendors. We've seen their name a few times. And this is something I need. I'm going to go right into their booth and check them out. So we did get benefit from that. But I also completely understand what you're saying, where if for those that don't have that time, you know, or the walk around, right? That's why AAJ does the in-person events at such nice places, right? Hawaii, and because they lock you into, well, not lock you in, but you don't want to leave. <laughs> you don't want to leave the hotel, right? Because yeah. you're in a nice, beautiful place. You're in a, a nice, beautiful hotel. And you want to stretch your legs by walking through the exhibitor hall. That's yeah. how they've always encouraged it. So yeah. virtual is going to be very difficult to achieve that. Um, and I think they're going to have to think outside the box like you said and yeah. that that whole idea with the imagery it, it's like tv I, I i think that we need to kind of go back towards that tv the lower third content you know with yeah. you know the name and you know always reminding them who you are and the company and then the little visuals that don't take over the person 100 yes i cannot stress that enough treat your webinars as interactive tv that's really the best way to make the experience outstanding and to really be able to say, you know what, this was better delivered in this format than if it would have been in person. Because at the end of the day, that's your goal now that you have, you're shifting to this new model. You don't want to take what you were gonna do in person and try to make it work on an online format, reinvented for online and that's what I don't see a lot of people doing. They're still doing old school in a new format. Doesn't necessarily give and provide the best experience. Now, Grace, I do have one more question to you, right? Um, because we talked about the experience for the actual participants. We've talked about the visibility for vendors and the interaction that vendors have. But there seems to be quite a bit of a setup, right? In order for you to be able to just be present as a vendor there. So what was that like? Because you said there is a video here, there's a brochure here, there's so like you had to be like literally online in front of your screen, webcam on so yeah. for the entire eight hours as if you were on the exhibitor hall. Like how I'm so glad you asked that question. Okay. Because that the, that experience was horrible. I have to say, like the initial experience of trying to load my assets and making sure that they displayed the way I wanted them to in this program that they had. Um, and that when I clicked through the, the, the booth that it was the experience I wanted my attendees to have, it was very difficult. I had to uh, physically create assets specific to the sizes of the platform. And 
even the videos, right? So any asset that I wanted, I had to specifically create and name and tag and upload. And if I had a whole team, you know, to do that, it would have been great because then I would have had every freaking asset, amazing asset known to man on there. But how much do you put into something like that when you don't know how much people are going to actually pay attention? I really wonder, it It definitely sounds like you need to put a lot of work and effort and if you really want to stand out, and but, but then there's the thing, right? You may do a lot of things to want to stand out, but at the end of the day, you know, it's not like if you have, you know, at an exhibitor hall, you can strategize, right? You can be one of two kind of vendors. You can come with your six foot long tablecloth that has your logo in it, a few pens, a few notepads, throw them on top of the table. One of those freestanding um, banners, <laughs> banners, right? Yeah. And you're set in literally 15 minutes, right? Right. Or you can be like us <laughs> that we really go out of our way to try to pop out in the way that we present ourselves in these kind of events. And my thing is how are vendors responding to having to put up so much effort to have this online presence sort of saying in this new virtual exhibit or whole, okay, because it's a lot of work, Grace, it right? Is. I mean, I know I spoke with a lot of vendors that they come by and they just want to ask me, how much time does it take you to put this booth up? And I tell them where we usually come a day before and we work on it two to three hours and oh my God, that's so much time. Like I'm literally done in 15 minutes. And so I'm, I'm trying to think like for them going to exhibit or uh, to events is like plug and play. They get on a plane, they get there 15, like they know what they're doing. They have a system. How easily has it been to take people out of that routine and get them to, no, 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 no. You have to build up your landing page on this platform. You need to create assets, content here, that when that was not nothing, like they were not doing this before. Who knows, you know. That was not easy. They may not even have a website, honestly. No, you're right. That was not easy. That that whole vendor program part of it was the hardest part, I think. Um, and I and yourself, well, both of us have, you know, pretty much expert level media um, and graphics experience. And it was difficult for me because basically they were asking me to not just create all of recreate the assets, but it was put it in a format that had to work with a virtual booth. So I had to think about it as if I was an attendee looking in and what is the first interactive element well, do I one need an interactive element because I have to capture them within the first six seconds right because this is now yeah. a virtual thing instead of in person I have a little more a little more I think time don't I a lot of times we have a little more time to capture their attention yeah. in person let's talk to wrap this up let's talk about some upcoming virtual events that are are really worth exploring because there's quite a few. I mean, we know Pilma is gonna be having their annual conference all virtual sometime soon. I think that's one interesting one to look out for because it always had great speakers, great content, particularly for those who are in personal injury, potentially masters as well. This is kind of like a very relevant annual conference that I know a lot of people look forward to. So that's going to be interesting to see. Now, Grace, there is Masters Made Perfect. 
So they're taking it online for their full session. And I must say, I'm very impressed with everything they're doing to make their conference as much as if you are actually there. What's really, really mind-blowing, Grace, is that they're still keeping the Vegas theme because all of their conferences are in Las Vegas. So they're still keeping that theme on their virtual conference. And I think that's great. I think that's exactly what we're talking about, right? That's really adding fun interactive elements to really keep your participants engaged. So amongst the things that I uh, recall seeing in what Masters Made Perfect are going to be offering, so they're still going to be offering a cocktail reception. You're still going to be able to sit at tables with different attendees, vendors, participants, like literally walk into a cocktail party, move around and join different tables as a participant and have conversations with people as if you were at an actual event, Grace. I think that's going to be very interesting, right? Needless to say, they're doing a virtual exhibit or hall, and obviously they're also going to be running all of their conferences uh, that way. Now, Grace, I do want to bring another event that uh, as I started the conversation, said I was last year, and they're also taking their event online this year, and that's Ben Glass's Great Legal Marketing event. So they're going to be having their conference late in October, and here is one thing. It's not going to be 100% online. I think it's going to be partly online and they're also creating room to have some in-person attendees. So it's going to be a hybrid of those both. Yeah. That's interesting. Yes. And so here's another thing, Grace, that really caught my attention about the way they're doing their interactive exhibit or whole. So if I'm not mistaken, Grace, all of these other events that we've mentioned so far, their exhibit or holes for the vendors where pay your vendor fee and then good luck and hopefully you'll generate enough leads for it to have been worth your while or you get enough exposure or you know whatever your goal is for exhibiting there. But the way that Great Legal Marketing is doing it is for the vendors, they allow them to be there without paying nothing up front if I'm correct, and then they charge you per lead, <laughs> right? So you still have the same setup like you've just talked about, Grace, similar at least. You have a virtual booth, people can come, can interact, and if they found what you're doing interest, then the participants can decide to share with you their contact details. And at that point, that becomes a lead, right? And at that point, you get charged X amount by the event organizer for that lead that you acquire. So almost kind of like uh, LSA, local service ads from Google situation, yeah. but on virtual event. And quite frankly, I think that's a very interesting model. Kind of like that. It's almost pay for performance, isn't it? Like, it is. Did you, it you, is drove, you drove it me is. leads or did you not? If you drove me yeah, leads, I pay. <laughs> and obviously that raises the questions like, well, are the participants going to be incentivized through other external factors mm. uh, to go and visit it. But no, I asked, I asked, they're not, they're not like genuinely the people that are going to be coming to the booths are not going to be incentivized to complete a form or uh, something, a form or anything that says that they've been to all the booths so then they can enter a rough trip or a TV or whatever that is giving away, but they're, they're not giving away anything to incentivize people to go and visit the exhibitor's hall. So 
what I love about these crates is the creativity, is the thinking outside the box, is the way in which they're finding also ways to be uh, interesting and appealing to exhibitors that have been skeptical about exhi uh, virtual exhibitor halls. And I think that's great. I always think it's good to experiment and try different things. And so that's an interesting model that it's also coming up. And I think it's important to also think about what type of virtual event you actually want to be involved in, right? And include that as part of the strategy that you have for your marketing. And the reason I'm mentioning that is because, it, as I mentioned to you, Liel, before we started this podcast was uh, today, anyway, not before we started completely. Um, I'm part of the Forbes Council um, membership, and they have in the forum, they're speaking uh, about speaking gigs in the remote world. And they specifically are asking if anyone's seen much success in speaking gigs. And all throughout the forum, people are talking about webinars, virtual events, associations that they were involved with, uh, podcasts like we're doing, and whether they're worth it or not. And what I, the common theme that I see is exactly what you and I are saying. You have to see if it's worth it for you. Are they gonna have the, the right amount of people and the right people? And are they gonna have interactivity that you like and that you feel can best show who your business is and what you can provide. Those are the things that yeah. I've noticed in the themes. What do you think? Yeah. No, oh, it makes sense. absolute sense, Grace, right? I mean, the options that have emerged as a result of the circumstance into which we are is overwhelming. We're at a point that there is so many, every single week, there's endless options of webinars that one can attend. So you really now need to be very strategic into which ones you want to attend and which are worth your time and make considerations as well, which ones are live, which ones are pre-recorded and take it from there. Right, Grace? So I think we are ready for a few takeaways. And I think our first one could very well be that one is jumping the opportunity. There's great content, there's great opportunities. It has never been easier to participate at events than it is now, but you should really assess very well which ones you're gonna be attending so you can make the most out of them. Because here's the other thing, Grace, right? You don't want to particularly, if it's an event that it's paid and it can have a great positive impact in your business, in your law firm, you don't wanna subscribe yourself and drop halfway through it because you've got distracted with other things that are happening around you because you're not there. That's one of the that's one of the reasons these events and many people attend them is because they really get to focus on things without the usual daily distractions. So I think those are some of the considerations people should have when opting and subscribing for these ones. What do you think? Yeah, no, definitely. When you put the time in. Right. So the, yeah. the, the, put the time in, whether it's before or during or after, whatever it is, you need to put the time in and, and, you know, make it a part of your strategy. That's why I keep saying that. I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think that can yeah. be one and two, honestly, because yeah. one is be choosy, be selective and to put the time in. Yeah, you have absolutely to. Absolutely great. So with regards to number three, let's now talk a little bit about vendors, exhibitors, and kind of like the elements that may not be as central to conferences and well, what used to be live events, now virtual events, but they're still part of the experience. So I would say a couple of things. Number one, 
if you've decided or been thinking going for something for a partnership with a vendor or you have a need, whether it's marketing, whether it's software, don't rely on these events as much as you were doing before. Start your search process ahead of time. There's other sources to really get connected with the right partner to whatever it is that your law firm needs, right? So we talked a lot about that last week, Grace, I think so. Maybe just clicking on the first ad that you see on Facebook is not going to be the best way to go out of uh, for it. But there are certainly a lot of resources and most of companies, whether they're software, whether they're agencies that are serious in the work they do and such, they have also revamped their game so that they can be more easily discovered online by their ideal customers, right? So that's definitely something that needs to be said. If you're no longer having these exhibitor holes that were connecting you with your next partner for the law firm, then you potentially want to just revisit your strategy. But then again, if you're attending one of these events that actually do have an exhibitor hole, then go for it. Then go for it. Give it a give it a try. Give it a try. M make it one of those must-do things during the period that this virtual event lasts. Right. What do you think, Grace? Yeah, and most of them, all of them, actually, they list the exhibitors that are going to be there. And just take a look at the descriptions, you know, and note down the ones that you want to visit, that you want to see. And they're putting a lot of work they are. to be there and to participate in those means. Grace, I must say, I mean, when you see the list of tasks that you need to complete <laughs> in order to be ready for the event, it's a lot of work that goes into that. So uh, you can be certain that those who are actually taking the steps of being present there, they have a big level of interest to connect with you, serve you, and, you know, at least initiate a conversation. Grace. So with that, we come to an end of another legal marketing private conversation at In Camera Podcast. So next week, another one? Next week, another one. All right, Grace, Shana Toba, as I've said, Shana Toba. beginning of the year today, it's Friday. So we're recording this right before the end of the year. Grace, I'm looking forward to talking with you next week, new year. Okay, take care. All right, bye. If you like our show, make sure you subscribe, tell your co-workers, leave us a review and send us your questions at ask at incamerapodcast.com. We'll see you next week.